So starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts? And yet I show you a more excellent way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, Lord, it is a light, a lamp onto our path. Thank you that it is the truth. And that, Lord, you want to take this truth and you want to change us from the inside out. Thank you for bringing us together to hear your word today. Lord, I pray that as we go through this text that you will speak what you want to speak and that you will do what you want to do and that you'll have your way in this place. So we humbly ask this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I remember when I first went to uh, medical school um, in the first week one of the highlights of the week was that we got to go down uh, as first years into the dissection room for the first time. And I just remember that we were all there standing in our white coats 
and we sort of gingerly went down into the basement, which is obviously where the dissection room was. And I remember that we all stood in this very large room and there were these rows of dead bodies, basically, on tables with coverings over them. It was quite a sight, really, and many people were so shocked that actually some people gave up medicine, uh, even on that first uh, visit to the dissection room. But I spent many, many hours in that dissection room, and I learned really what Paul is speaking about in our first verse today. Because he's talking about, in verse 12, the human body. He's talking about the fact that the body, if you look at someone's body, it's one structure. In that first part, it says, for the body is one. But that one structure is made up of many different organs, many different cells, It has many different parts, as it says there, and has many members. And if you look at the body from the inside out, those many members, those organs, those cells, those tendons, those muscles, they all come together and they all form one body. And these truths I learned in the dissection room, you know, when when I would stand in front of a a dead cadaver, I'd have the, the scalpel there and I'd see one structure there in front of me. And then we'd go and take the knife and we'd cut open the abdomen. And you go into the abdomen. Sorry, this is a bit vivid, but you go into the abdomen and you see lots of different parts. You see the bowels, you see the liver, you see the the spleen. And you learn over time that all these things in the body are connected together. And they all form that one structure. So in this verse, Paul is giving a fantastic anatomy and physiology lesson that I went to medical school for five years to learn and got myself into debt. Uh, Lots of debt. But he says there, once he's described this body, he says, so also is Christ. And one of the things we have to just briefly mention before we get into what Paul's getting at here is we have to state something very obvious, and that is that Jesus had a human body. And he had to have a human body because if he didn't have a human body, he couldn't have been our representative. What do I mean by that? Well, in the beginning when God created the world, when he created Adam, he gave Adam the responsibility to be humanity's representative. And so what Adam did in terms of whether he was obedient to God or whether he was disobedient to God, the effects of that would be transferred onto his, his posterity, the human race. And we know what happened. happened. Adam sinned, didn't he? He fell. He didn't listen to God. He disobeyed him. And the consequences of that sin came to all of us. Adam was kicked out of the Garden of Eden with Eve. And ever since then, every person that's been born in this world, God relates to through the representation of Adam. And the only way that that could change, listen, is if a different representative came and that that representative had a human body so that that human could follow God's law perfectly, that that human could take the consequences of our failure and Adam's failure upon themselves and defeat sin. 
And of course, that's what Jesus did. Jesus came into the world. He was fully God. He was fully human. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling the law. He went to the cross. He died for our sins on the cross. And he rose again on the third day, defeating our sins. Hallelujah. So we confess and we declare that Jesus had a human body. We don't believe that Jesus was a phantom, that he was some kind of spirit that looked like he had a body. No, he had a real physical human body. And we agree with John when he says in 1 John 4, uh, verses 2 and 3, but this you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is already in the world. So Jesus had a human body, but this is not what Paul is getting at here. He's not speaking about the physical here. He's speaking about the spiritual. So last week, John spoke, didn't he, about the, the work of the spirit in the church, how the Spirit gives different gifts, different ministries. And what was in focus there was Jesus and how he is attached to his church, to his people by the Spirit, and how the Spirit works in the church to use the church in different gifts and different ministries. And this is what he has in focus when he says, so also is Christ. He has that relationship that Jesus has with his church and how the Spirit works in the church to bring forth the gifts in the forefront. And he describes it as a body. He says that this relationship that Jesus has with his church is like a physical human body. A couple of verses that confirm this are in Colossians chapter 1 where we see in Colossians 1 verse 18a, where it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. And then in Colossians 1.24, it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So the New Testament teaches, brothers and sisters, that the body of Christ is the church where Jesus is the head. And we, as the, as the church, are the members of the body, individually, we all come together as one. And as we walk with Jesus by faith and as we are obedient to how the Spirit wants to work in our lives and the gifts that he wants to give us so that we can benefit others, that body moves in ministry. It is united in purpose in seeing people come to Christ, in seeing the church built up, but it is not just united, there is a variety and there is a diversity because people have different gifts, they have different ministries, they have different callings within the church. And so the focus of our passage today is this body or this metaphor of the body that uh, Paul is using to describe this relationship that Jesus has with his church. And we're going to see three things. In verse 13, we're going to see how we enter into the body. From verse 14 to 27, we're going to see Paul dealing with errors around diversity that the church had fallen into. 
And we're going to see in verse 28 to 31 how God seeks to bring about his priorities in the body of Christ. And how in all of that, the Spirit keeps that unity and keeps that diversity in a healthy way. So let's go back to verse 13. He says there, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So in this verse, Paul is telling us how we enter into the body of Christ. And the first thing I would say is that it is by the Holy Spirit, because he says it's for by one Spirit. And he's talking about the the, the Holy Spirit there. When we enter into the body of Christ, it's not something that we do on our own, in our own choice, separate from God. It is not something like where we go up to a house where there's a party and we demand and knock on the door and we demand to come in. The door has to be opened for us. And it's opened for us by the Holy Spirit. And that shouldn't surprise us, brothers and sisters, because sinful human beings are dead in their sins and transgressions. They are dead spiritually. They have no relationship with God. They have no desire to have a relationship with God. And they can only be drawn by God to himself. So from start to finish, our entrance into the body of Christ is done by the Spirit. And we should be incredibly thankful for that because it shows God's grace, it shows his love, it shows his mercy that any of us are saved. Because God would have been just in leaving all humanity to judgment. But he didn't do that. He chose to save. The second thing that this verse teaches us is by one spirit. But you see there where it says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The Greek language there teaches us that what Paul's saying here is it's by baptism in the Holy Spirit that we enter into the body of Christ. It's by baptism in that one spirit that we enter into the church. Notice there he says, it's, he says that you were. So something that's happened in the past for these people. So when did it occur? When did these people, these believers, get baptized in the spirit to enter into the church? Well, I would say that there are two fulfillments to this. And this is not just for them, it's for us as well. There's the corporate fulfillment, where the whole church was baptized in the Spirit. And then then there's our individual fulfillment. So the corporate fulfillment occurred at the day of Pentecost. You remember uh, the apostles were there in Jerusalem with the other disciples. And the Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues. And the people that were there that were watching that thought that they were drunk. And so Peter gets up and he starts giving a sermon and explaining that they're not drunk, that this is a work of God. Let's see what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 18. It says there, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, 
since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And that shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And then a bit further on, in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, he says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. So when Peter gives his explanation to these people about what's going on, he takes them back to the prophet Joel. And he says that this prophet Joel gave this prophecy in the Old Testament that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, which means not just Jew, but Gentile as well. And that when he did that, people would prophesy, people would see visions, people would dream dreams. But let's think about this, because at Pentecost, there was no Gentiles there really. It was mainly Jews in that room. And they weren't really, they weren't prophesying, they weren't seeing visions, they weren't seeing dreams. They were just praying in tongues. So what's Peter getting at? Well, what he's getting at is he's saying to these people that are saying that they're drunk, that your, your vision of what's going on is so narrow. What's happening here is so much bigger. What is going on is that God is pouring out his spirit on the church. It's not just us that he's pouring out the spirit on. It's people in the future. This, what you're seeing here is the spirit being poured out in his entirety for all mission, for all ministry, for all salvation, not just now, but for the whole future of the church. And so the day of Pentecost, Peter's saying that the whole church was corporately baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then there's the individual fulfillment as well. When are we baptized in the Spirit? Well, I would say that we're baptized in the Spirit when we're born again, when we are converted. And I know that's probably ruffling a few people's feathers, even as I'm saying that. But let's see what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Jesus answered, and speaking to Nicodemus, and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying there is he's saying that unless you're born again, you cannot enter into his kingdom. You cannot enter into his church. But what does Paul say here? He says that it's baptism in the Spirit that enables you to enter into the church. So you've got these two things here. You've got being born again and you've got being baptized in the Spirit. And I would say that Paul and Jesus are teaching that those things are one and the same thing. When we're born again, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we can see this confirmed really by what the word baptism means. Because when we're baptized, we are submerged under the influence of something. Like when, you, when you're baptized in water, you're, like these guys know, who've, who've done it recently, you're, 
dunked underneath the water and you're submerged underneath its influence for a time and then you're brought back up. So when we're baptized in the Spirit, when we're born again, the Spirit comes into our hearts, he changes us, he makes us into a new creation and he begins to continue to change us from the inside out. We become more like Christ. We are under his influence, submerged under his influence from the time we're born again forever because Jesus said that when he gave his spirit that the spirit would be with them forever but it's also confirmed by what he says in the rest of the verse because he says that they were baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit so he's saying there that it's not just Jews but it's everyone Everyone has been baptized in the Spirit who've entered into the church. When it says there that they've been made to drink into one Spirit, it's basically saying that they've been baptized in the Spirit, but just in a different way. So the emphasis here is on all of them. It's happened to all of them, not just a select few. Every single one of them have been baptized in the Spirit. And what's the other thing that every person has to go through to enter into the church? Being born again. Brothers and sisters, baptism of the Spirit occurs when we are born again. Some of you may be thinking when I'm saying this, well, what about the example of the apostles? Didn't it look like they had a second experience at the day of Pentecost that, you know, they were born again and then they were baptized in the Spirit? Well, yes, it does look like that, but What I would say to you is that the apostles and those disciples at that time were living in a unique time in history. They were living between the New Testament, sorry, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you can't always use those guys as an example for everything that's going to happen in our life in the Spirit. I would advise you not to do that. The other thing that you might be thinking is that if you're born again, when you're born again and you're baptized in the Spirit, does that mean that you know, somehow that teaching stifles the Spirit? Does it somehow stop you from operating in the Spirit? Well, I would say no. I would say that this teaching that Paul is bringing forth here, that we're baptized in the Spirit when we're born again, gives you the most balanced, charismatic theology that you can get from the New Testament. And it's, it... it, it complements what the New Testament testimony is, is that when we're born again, when we're baptized in the Spirit, the expectation is, is that in every believer's life, there will be times in your life at different times, at different degrees, at different frequencies, where you will experience the overflow of the Spirit. The overflow of the Spirit that Jesus spoke about in John 7, those rivers of living water coming out of you. And that can come out as gifts of the Spirit. And that happens in every one of our lives. And we should seek after that and we should pray for that. Not just for ourselves, but for everyone in the church. But the emphasis that Paul has in this verse, brothers and sisters, is on everyone. And I would put it to you that if you believe in Jesus, if you know that he's your Lord, if you're saved then I will say to you, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that God wants to use you in the body of Christ, every single one of you. Don't listen to people who say to you 
that you need to have an extra special spiritual experience to be used of God. I'm sorry, but I think that's nonsense. And I don't think it's what the scriptures teach. And every single one of you, God wants to use. He has baptized you in the spirit. Let him use you. Let him use you in the variety of gifts that he's given you. So he goes on in verse 14, and he says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And so what he's going to do now in, the, in, in, in section 2 of our uh, text, from verse 14 to 27, is he's going to start dealing with a variety of errors that these Corinthian believers had got into in thinking about diversity of gifts. And we know he's going to talk about diversity because he goes on in verse 14 to say, the, the body's not, in fact, not one member, but many. And you see, the overwhelming problem that the Corinthian church had was that, and this was a church where the gifts of the Spirit was re, that they were really operating a lot, is that people had started to value certain gifts more than others. So, what happened was that, 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 that certain gifts were seen as being better than other gifts. And so some gifts like, I don't know, probably prophecy was seen as being better than the gift of helps. Or teaching was seen as being better than the gift of administration. Now that thinking is wrong. And it's wrong because every single gift that God gives has equal value. We know that because of something, a verse in last week's text in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 where it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each, listen, each one for the profit of all. So every single gift that God gives in his church, he gives for the profit of all. So they all have equal value and Paul knew this and so what he's going to do is he's, is he's going to deal with this error in thinking over these next few verses. And he's going, to, he's going to focus on two types of people. In verse 15 to uh, verse um, 20, he's going to focus on the person that thinks that they have the lesser gift. The person that thinks that their gift is not worth anything. And then from verse 21 down to verse 28, he's going to deal with the person who thinks that their gift is much better than everyone else's. So verse 15, he says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So, the person he's addressing here is the person who thinks that they have the lesser gift. And this idea of different values of different gifts had got so bad that what happened in the Corinthian church is that people started to identify their Christian identity in the gift that they had. And so the people who felt that they had the lesser gift started to think, okay, well, if I've got this gift, then I'm not part of the body. I'm not a Christian. If I've got the gift of helps or if I've got the gift of administrations and I'm not a prophet or I'm not a teacher, then I'm not part of the body. I'm not a real 
Christian. That's what was beginning to happen. And this happened to me when I first became a Christian. When I first became a Christian, or nearly 20, yeah, over 20 years ago now, the guys that discipled me when I first became a Christian were very heavy into thinking that you had to have a certain gift. And they were, they were pushing it, you know? Even after I got saved or after a couple of weeks, they were saying, you know, you need to get this gift now. You need to get this gift now. We need to see you operate in this gift. And um, I was like, okay, cool. You know, that, that, sounds, that sounds good. But over a few weeks, nothing happened. You know, nothing happened. And they kept saying, well, you know, you need to really operate in this gift. And so it, I, over a few months, it kind of happened, but it kind of didn't happen. But I was left at the end of it thinking, okay, well, Am I really a Christian? Have I really been saved if I don't really operate in this particular gift? And if that's happened to you in your Christian walk, and particularly if it's happened to you in this church, I want to say sorry to you. Because that is wrong. It is wrong for you to think that just because you have a certain gift that you don't belong to the church. But the good news is, is that there is an answer to that way of thinking. And Paul gives us that answer in the, in, in the, the rest of this little section from verse, uh, or verse 15 to verse 20. And the way that you deal with this way of thinking, of thinking that you don't belong to the church because you have a certain gift, is to have a changed mind to have a changed way of thinking. And this idea of having a changed way of thinking, brothers and sisters, is normal Christianity. You know, when we get saved and we're born again, the Spirit starts to work in us and change us, and he changes the way we think about things. You know, he says in the Scriptures that we're given the mind of Christ when we become a believer, which is up here. This is the mind of Christ, and oftentimes we feel like we're down here, and the Spirit, as he works in us, changes us and slowly develops our mind to become more like the mind of Christ. A couple of verses that confirm this is in Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24, it says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and in true holiness. Brothers and sisters, this concept of having a changed mind about things is normal Christianity. And Paul gives these people three ways to have a changed mind. In verse 15, if you look there again, it says, Um, When he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? What he's saying there is he's saying, look, you guys think that because you've got this certain gift, you're not part of the body, but you need to realize that that's not your identity. The reality of why you're in the body is not because of the gift, it's because of Christ. It's because of what Jesus has done for you, not what you do in the body, So he's saying, think differently about that. Your identity is not your gift. I hope you know that in in here this morning. 
Whatever you feel God's gifted you with, it's not your identity. Jesus is your identity. Being in him, being saved in him, that's who you are. He then says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the spelling? And so he's, he's, he's again getting to think differently. He's saying, look, you guys need to realize that your gift, however poor you think it is, it is needed in the body. It may not be prophecy. It may not be teaching. But there definitely needs to be helps in the body. And there definitely needs to be administrations in the body. Because if that wasn't there, then the body wouldn't move. And so he's saying, think differently. Your gift has value. Whatever you think about it. And then he says in verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And he's saying to, you, he's saying to these guys, God has put you in the place you are. God has given you the gift that you have, whatever it is. And you need to submit to the fact that it's his will that you have that gift. Yes, you might not be a prophet. Yes, you might not be a teacher or an apostle. But it's God and his grace that's put you in the place where you are. So think differently. And he says in verse 19 and verse 20, And if there were, if there were all one member, where would the body be? And now indeed there are many members yet one body. Paul's saying very clearly to these people, guys, think differently. You've fallen into the trap of wrong thinking about your gift. Think differently. Take action. And when you do that, the unity and the diversity of the body of Christ is kept. It's kept healthy. It's kept good. I do wonder, brothers and sisters, if there's anything in your heart this morning and in fact, I know that there will be things in your heart this morning that God will be saying to you, you need to have a changed mind about that. I can guarantee, well, I, yes, I, I'm going to say from what the scripture teaches that God will be wanting to change every single one of you in here about something you think about. And I would just say to you, humbly, listen to what the Lord is saying. Walking that changed mind that he wants for you. And then in verse 21, he says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so he changes his focus here from the person who thinks they've got no, the, the, the poor gift to the person that thinks that they have the best gift. This is a person that thinks that they are the bee's knees in the church. That their gift is so needed, that their gift is the best, that their gift is, if the church didn't have this person and have this gift, then where would the church be? This is addressing that type of person. And it shows in this verse that that type of person was being unloving. And he, was being un, he, he or she was being unloving to people in the church because he was saying, I have no need of you. He goes on in verse 22 to verse 25. 
And he says there, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. What he's saying here to these people who think that they've got the best gift is he's saying, look, you are being unloving. Those people whom you see as being weak, those people whom you see as being less honorable, those people whom you see as being unpresentable or deformed, that's what that word means in the Greek, you need to act differently towards those people. You need to honor them. You need to see that they are necessary. You need to see that they are not deformed, but they are totally formed in Christ. What he's doing here is he is actually rebuking the person in verse 21, and he's saying, look, you are sinning. In your way of thinking about your gift, you are being unloving, and you need to change the way that you think about these people in the church who God wants to have more honor. Paul is rebuking them. He is telling them, you are wrong. And we need that sometimes, don't we? We don't like in the 21st century to be told that we're wrong. We don't like it when someone in the church says to us, hey, I think that that's not good. You need to change that way of thinking, that way of acting. But brothers and sisters, I have to say, we need sometimes to be rebuked. We need to be told sometimes that we're wrong. This is what Jesus said in Luke uh, chapter 17, verse 3. He said, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Then in Proverbs 27, verse 5, it says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Sometimes we need that rebuke in our lives, and this is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, you guys need to turn from this sin, you need to repent, and you need to change the way that you're acting towards these people in the church who are already feeling bad. These people who feel weak, who are deformed, maybe in their body, maybe in their mind. These people who are at the bottom of the pile. You need to change the way you think towards these people because God wants to raise them up. He wants to lift them up. He goes on in verse 24 and 25, and he, he tells us what the result will be if they do what he tells them to do. He says, but God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Listen, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see there that what Paul's saying is he's saying that if you act this way to these people, what will happen is that you'll have churches where there's no division. There'll be no schism. You will have churches where people will actually take care of each other. People who are suffering will know that people are 
experiencing and walking with them in their suffering. People who are honored will see that people rejoice with them. So can you see that Paul's giving these people a command, and he's saying that if you follow this command, there is fruit, there is life. And this is the case for all of the commands of God. If we follow the commands of God, there is life at the end of them. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 93, it says, he says, I will never forget your precepts or commands, O Lord, for by them you have given me life. The problem is, is that we don't follow the commands of God, do we? And it's not because there's a problem with the commands, because in Romans 7 it says that the law of God is good. The problem is us. Because we're sinful, when we approach the commands of God in our own strength, we fail. And we don't do them. In a way, that was the whole purpose of the law, wasn't it? God says that he gave the law to show people that they were sinners. But the wonderful news is, brothers and sisters, that in the new covenant, we are given the Spirit of God. And do you know what the Spirit of God does? He writes the law of God on our hearts. So the law of God is no longer external, it's internal within us. And as we walk with him, as we walk with the Spirit, he changes us, he makes us more like Christ. We live the law out naturally. It says in Romans that the law is established by faith. So he's saying to these brothers and sisters here, and he's saying to us, that if we want to follow the commands of God, we need to repent where we know we've done something wrong, And we need to submit to the power of the Spirit within us and ask the Spirit to help us to follow the commands of God and then there'll be fruit in our lives. There'll be fruit in our churches. We will be like Jesus who was able to rejoice at the wedding of Cana but then mourn with the the widow at Nain who'd lost her husband and her son. That's what I want to be like. And this is what Paul wanted these brothers and sisters to be like. I mean, let's just think about this for a moment. Do you want to be in a church, brothers and sisters, where there's no division and where everyone looks after each other and takes care of each other? That's what I want. But do you know what the one thing is that stops that from happening? It's our pride. Pride is where you are on the throne of your life. Pride is where you are the God of your life. Pride comes from sin. And pride was the problem that these people had here when they were falling into errors about the gifts. The person who felt that they didn't have the best gift was stuck in the pride of self-pity. The person who thinks that they've got the best gift is stuck in the pride of self-exaltation. And the result of that was division. The result of that was people being not loved, people being put down. What God would say to us is that if you want to be in a church where there's no division and the people are taking care of each other, it's not about having the right program, it's not about having the right eldership, it's not about having the right uh, manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, 
It's about whether you're willing to let go pride. That's what he would say to us today. Are you willing to do that, brothers and sisters? As it says in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God wants us to be a humble church. He wants us to be those who acknowledge who we really are under him. We are sinners saved by grace. We are weak. We need the power of the Spirit in our lives. And when we do that, the church will move forward, as the body of Christ should do, in unity and in the diversity that he's called us to. And it will be a great place to be. Instead of struggling to get to church on Sunday, you'll be running to that car, jumping in the car and getting here. Because you'll know you'll be coming to the place where God is going to bless you. We go into our last section from verse 28 onwards. I'm just going to read this section again. It says here, And God has appointed these in the church first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now I'm going to go through this section pretty quickly, uh, because to be honest with you, you could get into a lot of rabbit holes with these verses, you could talk about lots of different things, but Thomas and John are going to probably talk about that a lot over the next few weeks as they go through verse, sorry, chapter 13 and uh, chapter 14. But what I want you to see very clearly is in verse 28, God has his priorities in the church. He has gifts that he prioritizes more than others. And, 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 and he, I have to say that those gifts that he prioritizes are speaking gifts, apostleship, prophets, teachers. Then in verse 29, he goes through these questions. And these questions, I want you to see, are rhetorical questions. And the answer to them is no. All of us don't have every gift. That's what he's saying here, using these rhetorical questions. But then in verse 31, he tells us to earnestly desire the best gifts. So God has his priorities. We all don't have every gift and God says you need to seek after the best gifts. So what we need to see here is that Paul again is reiterating this reality that the gifts of the Spirit is not about us. It's about the whole church. It's about benefiting other people. We all don't have every gift, but we're called by God to seek after with the whole church, the best gifts. We need to lay aside our own priorities, what we want to be, and we want to seek with the whole church what's best for the whole church as a whole. And this shouldn't surprise us, brothers and sisters, because this spirit that gives this, these gifts is the spirit of Christ. And what Christ did, according to Philippians 2, is he came from heaven... He, let, he, 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 he laid aside his glory that he had with the Father in heaven. He came to the earth as a human being. 
totally human, totally God, took on the form of a servant, lived a perfect life for us, died a terrible death for us, and rose again on the third day. What's he doing there? He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about others. He's thinking about the benefit of other people. And so it's very uh, easy to say that the Spirit of Christ wants to do the same thing in us through the gifts of the Spirit. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of other, others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So I want to finish this uh, message with a question to you. And that is, do, do you want to see the gifts of the Spirit that are spoken of in these chapters lived out and manifest in our church? Because if you do, then what you're going to have to do first is you're going to have to dig some foundations. And over these next few weeks, we're going to see three foundations laid by Paul. Uh, Today, we're seeing the foundation of the denial of self and the promotion of others. Next week, we're going to see the foundation of love. And then in Uh, chapter 14, we're going to see the foundation of order. So your homework this week is to go home and to think before the Lord and pray and say, Lord, what is my heart in this? Do Do I want to see the church grow? Do I want to see the church benefit from the gift that you've given me? Do I want to see the best gifts manifest in the church and allow the Spirit to speak to you in that. And lay those foundations. Lay the foundation of self-denial. Lay the foundation of putting away your interests and have the interests of others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you have given your spirit to us We thank you that your spirit abides in us. We thank you that your spirit desires to overflow in our lives and to use us to benefit the whole church with the various gifts that we've been given. Lord, forgive us when we have the wrong heart and the wrong attitude about the gifts of the spirit. Forgive us, Lord, when we we sin against each other. And I pray that we would, uh, this week as we go away, Think about these things, pray about these things, meditate on these things, and that you would change us. And that as a church, we would walk forward as the body of Christ that you've called us to be. I just pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.